Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Experts Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. And today, with my co-host, David Blackman, we have a great show lined up for you. We'll be joined by Dino Grandoni, who is a reporter for the Washington Post. But first, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Bindel is the feature of the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Very, very interesting guy. Basically saying that Shell industry must change to survive. But will the industry listen? It's a great article. You've got to read all about it. If you want more information on Shell Magazine or to read the cover story, please visit shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Did you know we are having our State of Energy, Corpus Christi, August 26, 2021, from 1130 to 1 p.m. at the beautiful Omni Hotel in Corpus Christi. Our keynote speaker will be Tracy Bentley, who is the CEO of the Permian Strategic Partners. The moderator for the panel will be Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. And the panelists will include Barbara Canales, Judge of Nueces County, Bo McCall, the CEO of Moda Midstream, Brian Freed, the CEO of Epic Pipeline, and Jim Redinger, who is the CEO of Stabilis Solutions. This will be a sold-out event. For more information, be sure to visit shellmag.com and click on the banner ad to get more information on how to obtain your tickets or sponsor the event. Let me tell you about two upcoming mixers. First mixer is set for September 7th at the Hilton Double Tree Sky Lounge in Midland, Texas, as well as we have September 22nd, a mixer happening in Houston, Texas. Huge Landing Boulevard in the Woodlands is where that mixer will take place. To get tickets for either one of these events or for both, please visit shellmag.com and get your tickets there. And be sure to join us for the seventh annual Casa Golf Tournament, Crude Association of San Antonio. It is set for August 27th at the beautiful JW Marriott in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit the banner ad on Shell Magazine's website. That's shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And now it's time to welcome on my co-host and the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. Couldn't agree with you more. Lots going on. So let's jump into the Biden administration's demand this week that OPEC Plus increase its own oil production in order to help lower the cost of gasoline in the United States. Now, David, given all of his efforts this year to harm the domestic U.S. oil and gas industry here, isn't that demand more than a little ironic? <laughs> yes, it certainly is. I uh, I saw that on Wednesday and thought, oh my goodness, it's it's like we're living in Alice in Wonderland. It, you know, it comes a, a, a day, just a day uh, after the big infrastructure bill with all the goodies for the renewable uh, sector was signed and you know, it's it's just uh, it's just really odd, I think, for the president of the United States of America uh, asking other countries all over the world uh, that are members of OPEC Plus to damage their own economies in order to help him deal with a problem that his administration 
has to a large extent caused uh, with its policies, uh, these higher gasoline prices that you and I have been talking about on this program and in a Shell magazine for eight months now. And yep. it's just, it's, it's really almost unimaginable, uh, frankly, how, how hypocritical it all is. The overregulation, um, the cutting of the Keystone Pipeline, but right. yet approving a pipeline going from Russia to Europe. I mean, there's like a lot of things that are not making sense pertaining to where are we going with this down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland, if you will. <laughs> exactly. And and now, the you know, let's let's switch gears just a little bit. The Biden Biden's request came just days after. I want to go back to the U.S. Senate, which, by the way, the U.S. Senate, the Republicans are voting for this monstrosity. Yeah. yeah, 19 of them voted to pass the so-called infrastructure bill that is loaded with all sorts of goodies, you know, like you said earlier, on the renewable side. And right. I really want to get into that because how consistent is this with the demand for OPEC to cut the production of their oil? And yet... In some ways, this infrastructure has been labeled as just the Green New Deal, if you will. Right. Uh, it's so much in there. So right. break it down for the listeners to understand, first of all, what was in there and why is it so hard to understand this bill in oil and gas? Yeah, it's a, yeah you're right. I mean, the, the infrastructure bill is, and is um, it's the Green New Deal. It's the first down payment uh, for the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. Uh, they're trying to do it, uh, you know, uh, a little stealthily. They're doing it uh, with massive new subsidies for renewable energy. Uh, like for example, uh, one of the biggest examples, a $75 billion slush fund for, for building uh, more power lines, these gigantic 150-foot tall uh, power lines to take electricity generated by wind and solar farms that do not currently exist uh, to big markets around the country, like we did in Texas with the Creslines uh, uh, 10 years ago. And, and, you know, what happened with the Creslines in Texas was the wind industry said, well, it's just going to cost a billion dollars, told the Texas legislature that, so they funded it. And then 10 years later, by the time the lines had all been built and put in place, the cost had grown to $7 billion. And, you know, it's just a boondoggle. So now we have this big slush fund for more boondoggles. You know, they're going to extend the uh, subsidy for buying electric vehicles uh, for the wealthy people who buy EVs, who can afford them, all get subsidized at the federal and state level. Uh, they get rebates. And so they're going to extend that and, and expand it and make it a direct refund payment instead of just a tax credit. Um, so that'll cost many billions more. And it's just, there's, there's a dozen things like that in the infrastructure bill. And by the way, there's even more of it, more Green New Deal stuff uh, in the $3.5 trillion budget bill uh, that, that Congress is now in the process of considering. So let me give our listeners a visual. So you um, make thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. You're, you know, buying a Chevy Cruze or a, a Ford Escape or something on the lower end of, uh, you know, a gas-using combustible engine. But if you have money, the government is going to reward them to drive these 
Teslas and these really nice cars that are electric. Yeah. So they feel like they are doing something. And I believe the effect is going to be the trickle-down effect, meaning you'll get those cars eventually when they're about 15 <laughs> years old and their batteries run $3,000 to replace. So, I mean, it really looks like the burden is going to fall on the lower-income people. Rather, well, it's right. like Californians that you're paying $6 a gallon. And here, we've already seen our prices. You're going to pay more at the grocery store. And you're going to not be able to afford those wonderful vehicles that you see everybody else driving. I mean, it is really going to, in my opinion, show the people who continue to vote this way, this is what happens when you do that in the way of, I'm not, it is my opinion, but I don't see them getting ahead at all. I see them getting further behind. Well, and and the, the, the administration's policies are harming those voters, okay? It's yes. the poorest voters who pay the biggest burden on okay. higher gas prices okay. and all these kinds of things. And for me, I'm just saying level it out. So you get a check for $500, and you might also get some subsidized housing. But that also ensures that you stay in poverty lane and you never get out of it. And I don't think that's the American dream. That's all I'm saying. It sure makes it Let's, harder. It sure does. Let's switch gears and talk about the UN's IP, uh, IPCC this week, uh, which raises this you know, alarming rhetoric that I talk about all the time on climate change. Now, we know that we have children that don't know how to deal with climate change. We see the suicide rate going up in children because they don't know what to do with climate change and they're scared to death. And here comes the UN's IPCC claim that and Biden saying we need to follow the science, but does the IPCC science really line up with pres the president's demand for more oil production out of OPEC, or is this more double talk? And, and before <laughs> let's answer that, let me also say though that when we look at this, I have never met two scientists that believe the same thing, and they're always changing because the world changes, climate changes. Right. So it'll never stay on the same page. And I wish people would wrap their head around when one science says we definitely scientists we have climate change the other one is saying no we don't this is the uh, this is the problem over here so talk to me about what is this double talk that's going on from the un yeah. and the biden administration right i mean if you believe what the what the ipcc says the world's burning up and it's all because of your suv uh and gas-powered suv and 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 then you see president biden who you know fully endorses all this kind of rhetoric and and claims to be following the science asking OPEC plus to to put millions more barrels of uh, of oil onto the market right so so that your gasoline prices go down so that you can consume more gasoline and burn it in your car so it's it's just all completely conflicting it's all completely hypocritical and it's all just rhetoric uh, designed to justify the kinds of policy choices that are made in the infrastructure bill and the budget bill that the Democrats are, you know, passing in Washington with, with as you said, the help of 19 Republican senators. Um, so it's just um, none of it makes any sense. None of it's really based on science, uh, but it is what, uh, unfortunately, the voters supposedly elected. Well, you know, David, with between the UN and the Biden administration rolling out all these new policies, I sure hope that our elected officials understand that this discussion that they're having that's so loosely said has consequences to people who don't understand that this is m more politically driven than actually driven 
and that there are consequences that they're scaring the heck out of our children and also the public. And I think they need to rein this rhetoric in a little bit and couch it with some real data or where are we going with this as opposed to like the UN just saying we're on fire and there's no returning. I wonder what that's going to cause with this, to me, what seems to be a very unguided statement that shouldn't have been said and it should have not been condoned whatsoever from this administration. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this segment. But when we return, we're going to be joined by Dino Grandoni, who is a reporter for the Washington Post. And we asked him to join us because you recently wrote an article in the Post discussing the Biden administration's pledge to have EVs, you know, moving through the streets by 2035. You don't want to miss that interview. We'll be right back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And now, David, it is time to welcome on our guest, Dino Grandoni, who is a reporter for the Washington Post. Uh, Dino, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me on. We wanted to bring you on, and thank you for agreeing to come on our show uh, today, because you uh, had uh, you and Brady Dennis and wrote an article recently covering uh, the Biden administration's new call for half of the cars to be electric or plug-in hybrids by 2030. Um, and so, uh, David and I have like a lot of questions pertaining to how is how are we going to get this done. Um, so let me just let's just jump in there. Um, you, I'm assuming you cover the administration a lot, uh, working for the Washington Post, correct? Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, we've had a lot of guests on uh, in past history. Some of them were journalists that were very much environmentally in tuned, and some that um, had started out as environmental journalists and turned away from it, seeing that there were better energy resources out there than uh, maybe something like an electric vehicle. So we want to get into that today. Let me start with, so EV sales make up slightly less than half than 2% of the total sales uh, for automotive right now. And hybrid sales are somewhat lower than that. The Biden executive order envisioned ramping up to the between 30 to 50 percent less in the decade of relying on uh, fossil fuel or gas burning. Tell us a little bit about the administration's plan on how to incentivize and make this radical change in the U.S. pertaining to our auto sales, because we love our vehicles and we love our fast gas burning vehicles, it seems like in the United States. So tell us how that would work. Yeah, what the administration is seeking here is, as you just described, an incredible ramp up from just a sliver of sales today to you know, half of all sales. And um, they're going to be doing a few different things to try to achieve that goal. Um, firstly, they'll be relying on the uh, the authority they have um, at the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency and the Transportation Department, to put requirements on automakers to um, reduce the emissions that are coming out of tailpipes um, over the next few years and to increase the fuel efficiency of, of these vehicles. So they're um, 
they proposed some new uh, regulations on that for cars going out to model year 2026, and they're going to be writing yet more rules for um, cars that are going to be made in the latter half of the decade. The other big thing that they want to try to do is pass in Congress through both the infrastructure bill and the budget bill that are winding their way to Capitol Hill right now to uh, to provide some incentives for uh, consumers to buy um, electric vehicles, basically big tax breaks if you purchase a Tesla or another sort of electric vehicle. And um, they want to invest a lot of money into building a half a million charging stations throughout the country because one of the big issues that car maker, one of the big apprehensions car makers have right now is, um, you know, they want consumers to to feel confident that they can get a charge when they go on a road trip. Right. And that's that's one one of these big hesitations that that car buyers have right now that that um, car makers want help from Washington uh, for. Hey, Dino, this is David Blackman. Uh, we were going to ask about this uh, the the infrastructure bill later on, but. Uh, since you, you you just mentioned it, um, you, you know, so that that bill's going through Congress right now, and then we have three point five trillion dollar debt ceiling budget bill also going through Congress. You know, it it, it one of the things you just mentioned was, uh, it, you know, incentives for for the purchase of electric vehicles. Aren't there already incentives, federal and state, uh, rebates to to purchasers of electric vehicles and uh, would this just be an expansion of that, an extension of that same program, or will it be, you know, uh, you know, making the the rebates more robust? Yeah, that's a really good question. It'll be an extension of that. One of the issues with the existing electric vehicle rebate is that they run out for automakers. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I believe Tesla and GM have already run out, right. meaning that um, you know, once those automakers sell a certain number of electric vehicles, then buyers don't qualify for the tax credit anymore. So um, those and other uh, car makers want an extension of that tax credit, essentially. I gotcha, I gotcha. One of the questions I've got is, is it, it sounds like uh, in, in listening to you describe this, that that this is this is a multifaceted approach both to subsidize the purchase of EVs, but also to make gas-powered cars more expensive to purchase, right? And probably gasoline more expensive to purchase too, correct? So that the playing field, the relative cost of the two vehicles evens up to some extent, and they're kind of taking this two-pronged approach, attacking it from both sides. Well, I don't know if um, the administration would say that they want to increase the cost of gas-powered vehicle, gasoline-powered vehicles. They, they want to make the ones that will be sold over the next 10 years more efficient, which has been the goal of different administrations, basically every administration going back several. Um, and uh, it, they, they're they trying to use, like you were just saying, this regulatory authority that they already have and pass new legislation to, to try to achieve it. But ultimately the executive order that was signed that lays out this goal for uh, half of all sales by 2030, it doesn't have any real legal teeth. <laughs> It's just, um, it's an aspiration and- Right, uh, right. Yeah. And yeah, I, it's kind of like the Paris Agreement, right? I mean, there's goals that, that get set and that, that forms the basis, the impetus for other government action like the, the new regulations you talked about 
this legislation that's going through Congress right now to contain these provisions acting on the goal. When we get back from break, I want to get a little bit further into this conversation. You're listening to in the Wolfpatch Radio Show. We'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. We're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. Our guest today is Dino Grandino, reporter with the Washington Post. And Dino, you uh, wrote an excellent article covering uh, some of the Biden administration's uh, desire to, you know, bring in more of the electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids by 2030. A pretty lofty goal. And before the break, we were kind of talking about how. Um, these are probably more uh, desirable things that the administration wants to put out there. Maybe not necessarily they're going to match that. I mean, I know Ford had come out, and David, you can maybe speak to this, that they had these lofty goals too, and they wound up pulling that back very quickly when they realized it was not possible. And um, there's, you know, other statements that kind of, uh, I'd like to get clarification or your thoughts on at least, like when... uh, uh, Gavin uh, uh, Newsom says that we need to, um, I think his wording specifically in your article says that they need to, uh, the fast growing fires that torched through Northern California town of Greensville this week underscores the fact that we need to step up our efforts to address the underlying cause here. But isn't the underlying cause of the wildfires the fact that they won't clean their forest versus how is it the auto dealers problem so i mean there's just like a lot to think about and that's kind of what i'd like to give our listeners an opportunity to kind of weigh and balance because there's just there's a lot of moving parts here you're right it's complicated um and david i'm going to give it to you because i know we have a lot of conversations on the lack of what's needed, the minerals, the raw minerals to actually achieve this goal so let's let's kind of get into that Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so Dino, and I don't know if you've written about, uh, you know, the supply chain issues with lithium and cobalt and all these uh, critical minerals that, that, you know, we have to have uh, to, to build these lithium ion batteries. Um, 
we had the the, the UN's uh, Energy uh, Information Agency issued this report. I think it was in late June, in which they projected that demand for these critical minerals uh, is going to have to ramp up by about 800 percent in the United States by 2030. That's a kind of an unprecedented um, increase in, in demand for these kinds of minerals. And uh, have you done any reporting on that aspect of all of this? Well, I, the Post is an institution. Some of my colleagues have, have done a yeah. on that, yes. Um, and uh, I, I just, that, I didn't know if it was a fair question to ask you specifically. Oh, no, it, it's fair. I, I, think, I think lawmakers on both sides of the aisle recognize that um, they, want to recognize the need to get more of these minerals um, sourced domestically to mine them here. And um, there's some support for that in the infrastructure package as it's currently written. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think people across government and industry realize that we're going to need a lot more lithium uh, if we're going to achieve these goals and get lithium ion batteries into these cars. Yeah, and I, I, I guess uh, these minerals is also uh, Part, not all the cost, but part of the cost for this current chip shortage that we're having. Mm -hmm. um, I, man, I just went to my my dealership to get my car service the other day, and 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 the guy I talked to said that they have one third the number of cars on the lot right now than they had this time last year because of this chip shortage. Um, you know, which is impacting not just I mean not just EVs but also gas powered cars. Just getting them made right now um so this is i think it's kind of a looming issue that the administration is going to have to find a way to deal with yeah i think that's right yeah and, and you're right to say the chip the, all the cars whether they're gas powered or um battery powered or or otherwise have you know sophisticated computer systems in them that require these chips and we just don't have enough of them at the moment um and that's led to this spike in, in car prices and used car prices too, which is uh, really right. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And Dino, um, yeah. Dino, let me take a break real quick. When I come back, I want to also oh. ask your opinion on, so if, if this is the administration's desire 2030, and, and hey, we should all be environmentalists, David and I are, we're not uh, opposed to this, just trying to figure out how this works. But more importantly, do you see that this will be a, an affordable change for our most vulnerable population, the indigent or the poor? Because when we talk about the batteries, we talk about, you know, what's in the chips and we talk about less cars. Is this something that you see um, in the future potentially is going to be affordable to every American, regardless of, of you know their income, because these are just higher vehicles currently? We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Roseland Oil & Gas is excited to bring you the third annual South Texas Oil & Gas Convention, September 15th through 16th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Center in San Antonio, Texas. This will be a huge networking opportunity for the oil and gas industry. Does your company offer a service, product, or equipment for the oil and gas industry? Well, you want to sign up today to exhibit or attend at roselandconsulting.com, roselandconsulting.com, or give Roseland a call. 
And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dino Grandoni, a reporter with the Washington Post. Dino, before the break, uh, I want to give the floor back to you because I know you didn't quite finish your answer pertaining to how do we achieve this? And then also, is this? Uh, do you envision that this goal by the Biden administration for us to be really transitioning to EV and hybrids by 2030, is it going to be affordable to every American, these vehicles? So yeah, that's a good question. I know that's something that a lot of um, advocates for electric vehicles are concerned about and thinking about. So we were talking about the tax credit, which is a major way that um, Washington tries to incentivize the sale of electric vehicles. And my understanding is it's written right now is it's it's um, basically a rebate you get on your taxes. Uh, and really, those who can get it, or it's only really worthwhile if you already have a significant tax burden, i.e. if you're already rich. So one of the things that some lawmakers want to do is make it a cash rebate, whereby you get it regardless of what your tax burden is. Similar to, um, you know, the the rebates we all got, or that many Americans got um, during the pandemic, uh, where just a kind of a cash infusion to people. Um, so there, there's some talk of or effort to restructure that the rebate so that it's just a cash payout. And um, you know the, the truth of the matter too, too is that uh, poor people tend not to buy new vehicles in the first place. They're buying the used they're, they're participating more in the used vehicle market. Right. So um, I think maybe the idea would be that this trickles down eventually where, you know, they're not right now, but in the future, there'll be a market for electric used electric vehicles. Right. Yeah, obviously. And and that will come about as, as more and more of them get on the road. I think um, you take what one of the interesting aspects of me uh, of your, your report on this to me was uh, the fact that all of this, uh, the Biden order came about after months and months of negotiations with with automakers and in, environmentalist groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question, one of the questions that raises for me is what is in this for automakers? I mean, how are they benefiting from supporting this? Because there must be a financial incentive in it somewhere for them because they, you know, they're obviously profit-making corporations. So <laughs> there must right. be a, a, a big benefit to them financially somehow. Right, yeah, I think they would point to the several of the things we already talked about. They like the tax rebates. They like they like to make it cheaper for their customers to buy their vehicles. And um, they, they also will, and contained in the um, infrastructure package are, uh, I think both in the infrastructure and budget package um, are uh, tax incentives for the construction of factories that um, oh. like clean, clean factories. Like uh, I'm not describing that well, but, but fa- factories that somehow support some sort of clean technology. I so they, they might get some tax benefit from that as well. And they want the, they, they also really want this, network of electric vehicle charging stations built throughout the country, like I was saying, to give consumers the confidence to buy these vehicles. Um, you know, I, I think broadly, like the American automakers, uh, Ford and GM and uh, Stellantis, which is the new name for uh, Fiat Chrysler, want, they, they set out this kind of aspiration of 40 to 50% of their sales 
by 2030 to be electric vehicles, which is, you know, a range slightly less than what the administration wants. But I think they see the writing on the wall and that if they don't capture some of this electric vehicle market, then they're going to let other countries capture, car makers in other countries capture it. And um, I think they're afraid to be left out of that. Well, but the, the whole concept of the federal government, uh, you know, paying for uh, presumably forcing taxpayers to pay, assuming any of this is actually paid for with real money, to pay for the installation of these uh, charging stations, millions and millions of them, it is interesting to me. When we passed a bill 10 years ago in Texas, and I used to work in government affairs, just so you know, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, had the state provide incentives, similar incentives for the construction of natural gas filling stations here in the state to incentivize natural gas vehicles, we got accused of promoting corporate welfare. Isn't this the same kind of thing? And, and is the Biden administration receiving any criticism, you know, from the press or anyone else uh, uh, about this kind of corporate welfare? Uh, well, how many billions of dollars is it that we're talking about here? I think you'd find uh, a lot of opposition to um, the financial support for electric vehicles among some Republican lawmakers in Washington. I know uh, Senator John Brasso of Wyoming has been consistently outspoken against this. And uh, he obviously represents a state Wyoming that um, has a lot of, you know, oil and gas production, as does Texas, obviously. And I, sure. I, I can't I can't recall, but I, I it would not be surprising if the two senators from from Texas um, do not aren't thrilled about some of these electric vehicle incentives, but um, I don't want to speak for them though. Uh, yeah, no, there, there's significant opposition, which is you know one of the reasons why um, there are these two bills in Washington right now. There's the infrastructure bill, which is going to be passed on a bipartisan basis, most likely, most likely going to be passed, and it'll, if it will, it'll be passed on a bipartisan basis with the support of um, every Democrat or almost every Democrat, and um, you know, maybe half or a little half of all Republicans. Um, yeah. Then there'll be a second bill that is uh, going to be passed through bucket budget reconciliation and will um, almost certainly get only Democratic votes if it passes. And um, it is in that latter bill, the Democrat-only bill, that um, the uh, new tax breaks for, uh, or the expanded tax breaks for electric vehicles are going to be contained. I don't think there are a lot of there's a lot of Republican enthusiasm for um, for that kind of construction, but yeah. the, for that kind of the kind of financial support. But the um, the money for the electric vehicle charging stations is in that bipartisan infrastructure package. I think it's um, seven point five billion dollars. And I mean, I think the argument that they would make is that it is infrastructure as as our roads and bridges and ports and such. You know, sure, that sure. makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Hey, um, Dino, let's take a quick break. Um, one of the questions I had, um, we know that the environmentalist organizations were also at the table, and I'd like to get into that on the next segment. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. 
as a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment, and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim with In the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dino Grandoni, a reporter with the Washington right. Post. Um, Dino, before the break, I uh, we know that um, the Biden administration brought a lot of people to the table to talk about what would this look like. Um, we've talked about the, that the automakers were there. So were some of the environmentalist groups. One that was missing was Elon Musk, which was kind of strange. But environmentalist organizations were at the table too. So let's talk about what, what did the environmental group, what did they want? What were they bringing forward? So yeah, the, the environmentalists wanted um, the Biden administration to uh, you know, return quickly to these regulations um, for electric vehicles, or sorry, for, uh, for gas powered vehicles that like that the Obama administration had put in place. So to take a step back, the Obama administration put in place um, tight fuel efficiency standards that the Trump administration sub- subsequently froze and revoked. So there was some, um, there were many, many environmentalists who wanted to see a quick return to the Obama standards. Um, the Biden administration kind of met them halfway. And uh, I think we saw a kind of mixed reaction from environmentalists. They're happy to see the tighter standards and they're happy to see this aspiration for um, half of all vehicles to be electric or hybrid by 2030. But um, they would have liked to see the many of them would have liked to see the administration move more quickly. And, um, you know, really they're, the administration was trying to juggle a few different groups here, the automakers, um, the green groups, and then also the labor unions, um, which is a really important constituency to this president. Um, he's, he, he's tr- tried to take a very pro-labor stance on uh, many issues. So one of the concerns um, among the auto workers is that they they fear basically that factories producing electric vehicles are going to give them fewer jobs than factories producing internal combustion engines. Um, electric vehicles have fewer moving parts, and in general, that means you need fewer hands to put them together. And right. uh, they want to make sure that they're not going to see massive job losses here. But at the same time, like we were talking about before, I think all of these groups fear 
letting another letting other countries really dominate the electric vehicle market, leaving no factories in the United States to produce these things, and leaving the United States in a position where we're just buying batteries and vehicles themselves from other countries. And that's something I think no one in the United States wants. Sure. What about, uh, one other question I, I think that arises here, we've seen California, the state of California's government move in this general direction really for the last 20 years of implementing policies that uh, make it make it harder and harder to not just produce oil and gas in their state, but they've also more recently implemented these policies uh, calling for a rapid phase out of gasoline powered automobiles entirely in their state, I think by 2035. And one of the outcomes of that uh, set of policies has been vastly higher gasoline prices uh, than the national average California. California's currently uh, pay about 475 a gallon uh, for regular gas where the rest of the country is it about, I think, $3.11 or something like that? Um, uh, is there a fear or, or in your reporting on all of this, do you see a concern that the whole country uh, is going to end up looking a lot like California with these very high gasoline prices as all of these policies kind of converged over the next nine years? Well, I know that when... I know that there is concern among some people um, about higher gasoline prices. Whenever gas prices go up, they're whether a Republican or a Democrat's in the White House, it's finger pointing about what the cause of this is. <laughs> right. You no. Know, um, you know, I mean, the, the the truth is that uh, you know, the price of oil, which is you know what under underlies the price of gasoline, is set on the international market. It depends on so many different factors. How much oil is coming out of Russia or Iran or Saudi Arabia in any given moment. Um, so, and it fluctuates up and down based on that. So, you know, these policies, policies like how much oil and gas the United States or how much oil the United States produces um, will affect the price of gasoline ultimately. It, could be vastly washed out by some change that you know OPEC makes, and um, so it it becomes really hard to suss out what how you know federal policy just in this country will affect the price of something set on the global market. Well, Dino, let me ask you a question on that because you said it, it 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 vastly affects us what OPEC Plus is doing OPEC. But it also is what's happening here with our government and the regulations that are being imposed on operators and midstream companies and blockage of pipelines and things like that that we're doing here in the way of, you know, trying to um, uh, change positions, be more focused on the Paris Climate Accord. But those things, too, have an outcome to the operators that significantly can increase the price to the consumer, whether it's at the grocery store or at the pump. David, um, do you want to jump in here and just kind of talk about like? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason why Californians pay a lot higher prices for gasoline than we do in Texas, and and it has to do with the policies of the state governments, not necessarily the federal government. You know, OPEC. What OPEC does affects all of us, uh, everybody in the United States. Whereas, you know, Californians pay 50% higher gas prices because of what their state government has done. 
And, it, you know, that's really not, not really arguable in any real sense. But I think the big elephant in the living room here is, and you mentioned it earlier, um, uh, what happens to all these goals and mandates that the Biden administration is going to put into place here over the next two to three years if they lose the election in 2024? Isn't that right. really kind of the big elephant here? Well, so they're said, yes, that is that is a big elephant um, in the room for sure. You know, b before 2024, they want to lock in some of these regulations that we were discussing for, you know, how much pollution is coming out of or how much, you know, greenhouse gas emissions are coming out of tail pipes um, for cars made over the next, you know, several years. So they want to lock those in and, yeah. you know, a new administration can certainly try to rewrite those rules, but that is difficult, um, although not unprecedented, un not unprecedented to do. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you pass legislation in Congress for like like we we're discussing the the tax credits or the char or, you know, money allocating money for the charging stations, it's you can't really undo that. If you build a half a million charging stations, like a new administration is not going to come in and tear them all out. You know what I mean? Well, Dino, I want to thank you for being a guest. And I want to thank you also for writing the article, because I think that what we really need the most of is actual accurate reporting, but also explaining it to the average customer, consumer, uh, because it's just such a, like you said earlier, a complicated topic. And we like to try to get into those topics and break them down because it's it's very, very complicated and hard to understand. Thank you for being a guest today on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Thank you.